I'll keep your Bibles open there to uh, that passage. And let's ask God to uh, bless this time to us now in Jesus. Father, we just ask now for uh, you to have your way. Lord, um, just help each of us, uh, Lord, not to be a hindrance to that work that you would want to do in our hearts right now. Lord, help us have a real sense of your Holy Spirit speaking to us. May we know that the words that we have in front of us are not just words in any old book, but they are indeed the words of life, as we've just sung just previously. For in this Bible, in these words, it reveals to us not only that you are God and that you are the source of all life, but it teaches us how to indeed receive that life in Jesus Christ and then walk in the newness of that life. So we ask you now, come, speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Fakes. Phonies, frauds, our world's full of them, isn't it? Isn't it? It's interesting, just this last week I was reading a particular article and it was about this fire sale, or supposed fire sale is going on at the moment in one of our major hardware companies that's sort of hit the wall. And they had on, this, on their particular, in their store, a wonderful bargain that they were saying, you know, that this this particular item was 40% off its retail price. A wonderful bargain, and for only for $149. $149. But uh, one uh, curious customer decided to actually peel back the sale price to see what the original price was underneath, only to reveal that the original price was $79. Real bargain, hey? Real bargain. Mmm. No wonder that people aren't happy with this particular uh, company at, the, at present. You know, people can be the same too, can't they? they? can pretend to be something that they're not. Again, this week I was reading an article about a couple who, uh, who wanted to sort of try to um, yeah, get a little bit of sympathy. I don't know, maybe they were just feeling as though you know, the world was uh, against them, but they wanted to get a bit of sympathy from people around about them, so they decided that they would send themselves all these kind of death threats. And not themselves, but their children at school and things like that. And it was, it was an incredibly uh, intricate kind of thing that they, that they did. And to get people's sympathy, and through that they were, they were given time off work. Their, uh, their company put them up in, uh, you know, in, um, in hotels and things like that for safety. They sent them into state for holidays and so forth. But of course then the police sort of started to get a little bit suspicious. Only to discover that they were actually sending themselves these death threats. Hmm... So many people and schemes out there seeking to take advantage of unwary customers, offering what appears to be on the surface something good, but which in fact is really a con. It's getting harder and harder to find the real deal, isn't it? That which is authentic and genuine. Sadly, we also see it in the church. And there are many pastors and church leaders today who are really good at putting on a show 
They're excellent at putting on a show. But to dig a little deeper and you'll find that the inner person really doesn't actually match the outward profession. But it's not just church leaders. It's all of us. We can all be the same. We can come to church. We can put on the spiritual Sunday face. Yet through the week there is really nothing that distinguishes us you know, from, from anyone else living in the world today. Are we the real deal? Are you the real deal? So we turn this passage in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, what we're going to discover is that we, we find the Apostle Paul speaking about this kind of issue, this very issue. Because some false teachers had actually arrived in Corinth and what they were doing is that they were trying to convince the Corinthian believers that they were the real deal. That they were the real deal when it came to spiritual leadership. And that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was in fact an imposter. That he couldn't be trusted. These false teachers had come with letters of recommendation from, the, uh, from those with supposed authority in the Jerusalem church, the mother church. And they were using these letters as a means of, of authenticating their ministry and, 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 and sort of really putting out there their so-called credentials. Saying that their ministry was, was the real deal. It was the, it was the really honest-to-goodness ministry. But sadly, their ministry was actually corrupting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were saying that, it, that faith on its own was not enough for salvation, but that you also had to observe certain religious practices as well to be a true believer. Certain Jewish religious practices... And because Paul didn't seem to have these kind of letters of recommendation or commendation, they declared that it, that it made them superior to him and to his ministry, that their teaching and their ministry was far superior to Paul's. And so here in this chapter again, we find Paul defending himself to the Corinthian believers, defending himself and his ministry. And as he does so, he begins to point out what is indeed the real deal, so to speak, when it comes to genuine Christian gospel faith and practice. And so we're going to look at it this morning under four headings. If you've got those notes that uh, were handed out at the door this morning, you can follow uh, through with those. But essentially the four points we're going to be looking at this morning is this, is that genuine gospel ministry produces fruit or the fruit of transformed lives for Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's empowered by the Spirit of God. Thirdly, it's a ministry that glories in the superior message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And fourthly, it is more concerned about an inner reality than an external show. So let's look at our first point this morning, that it produces the fruit of transformed lives. We see that in verses 1 to 3 of our passage. You know, when someone comes and wants to apply for a new job, it's commonplace as when you do up your resume and you send that resume in that you include some, uh, some names of referees on the bottom of, the, on the bottom of that uh, particular uh, resume. People who are willing to give you a reference. Now that reference is essentially about affirming you, your qualities and your character and your abilities to your potential or to the potential employer. 
Basically, you, what you're doing is you're saying that uh, you know this person is of good character, that you will, you're happy to recommend them to this person, that you think that they indeed have the capability to, uh, to do the job that they're actually applying for. Paul begins this chapter by asking the Corinthian believers if he really needs to actually have himself commended to them again, if he really has to, to prove himself to them again. We see that in verse 1 where he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? In other words, you know, do I have to come to you and, and lay it all out again of, of who I am and the, 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 the ministry that God has called me to? He goes on to say that, uh, that what, he's want, what he wants to do is, that, is remind them that you know, he's spent 18 months with these people. Now, through the preaching, of, through his preaching of the gospel, God had used him to plant that church there in Corinth. That, that people had come to faith through the proclamation of the gospel ministry through Paul. He poured his life into them. He'd spent, you know, so much time. He'd loved them. He'd taught them. He'd nurtured them. He'd put up with all of their nonsense and all of the the, the infighting and that sort of thing that, that carried on with the church, and yet he continued to persevere with these people and to love them with a with a love that comes from God. And but all of a sudden, these false teachers arrive on the scene. They start to call his character and credentials into question, and 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 it leads some of the the people in the church then to start believing them and not Paul. Yet these people have just arrived on the scene. They've just come with a letter, but they don't know anything about them. And so Paul seeks to remind them of their knowledge of him as a person. And he goes on to say that they, that the believers themselves, were his letter. We see that in verses 2 and 3. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God. The believers themselves were his Letters. He points to the fact that, first of all, they're written on his heart. In other words, Paul has got this incredible you know, love and, uh, and affection for these believers. That that in itself is a, is a testimony to, the, to the, 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 uh, the, the, um, the way in which God has called Paul to be a minister to these people. There is this genuine love and affection for them. And it, it just reminds me again that you know that you know for, for me and for you know I can't speak for, for Dale and Greg, but, but I'm sure it would be the same for them as well, that, that God has called me here to be a minister here in this place to you people. To be a shepherd. And God has given me a love for each and every one of you here in this place. And I don't want to, you know, just sort of make this about, you know, about me or that sort of thing, but it is a, it is a work that God has done in my heart in order to give me a love for all of you. And that's what Paul is saying here. There is this supernatural work of the Spirit of God given to Paul that is, these people are now written on his heart. He has such a burden and such a passion and such a concern for these people as I have for you today. As I've always had, and, and with God willing, will always continue to do so. That in itself is a, is a, is a testimony to the work of the Spirit of God. 
But not only that, he says, he also points out to the, that, the, that, that the evidence of their transformed lives also speaks volumes about the validity and the authenticity of Paul's ministry. The fact that through his preaching of the gospel, these people had come to know Jesus Christ as saviour, that they'd receive forgiveness of their sins, that they'd become a part of the body of Christ. Their faith was proven genuine by their changed lives. And it was to be seen by all, to be read by all. You know, as we all sit here this morning, you know, there are people in your lives that have had a, a really significant, you know, impact in helping you and, and in nurturing you so that you have come to that point of salvation in Jesus Christ and you have grown in your knowledge and your love for Him and you've grown in your walks with Him. There are people who have contributed to that. And in, in, in essence, you are these people's letters, but it's, but it's not just there, it's, it's their letters that have come from Christ himself, as Paul points out here, that you are not just our letters, but you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. In other words, God has used these people to be the postman, to deliver that message of good news of the gospel to these people, and that they themselves have taken on that good news, have received that, and have come, become part of the family of God, and their lives are being changed and transformed because of it. God says, you're, Paul says, you're my letters. You know, their faith was proven genuine by their changed lives. Paul speaks about the fact that they, as I said, were not only his letters, but they were letters from Christ. It was Christ who had used Paul and his associates as his messengers. And so Paul's commendation then was not written by ink, whether it be on a piece of parchment or whether it be, as he written, writes down here, on tablets of stone, but has been written by the Holy Spirit on human hearts. That's the change that Paul says is the most significant and the most meaningful change that needs to take place in our lives. It has got to be a change of, tra- of hearts that leads to transform lives. So let me ask you this this morning. What does your life say about you today? What does your life say about you as a person and about the kind of things that you in your, your life are being, are being, you know, are being um, authorised by, are being you know, um, controlled by, if you like? Is it truly by the Spirit of God? Or is it just through some kind of just head knowledge which, you know, you just sort of think, oh, yeah, well, this is a, this is a you know, good way to live and so I'll just, you know, put that into practice? You know, is there an evidence in our lives today? Is there an evidence in your life today of a, of a spiritual transformation that is taking place? Albeit maybe little bit by little bit, as Paul says at the end of this passage, from one degree to another... But is there evidence of that? Who is the author of your life? Who is the one who is writing the story of your life right now? Is it Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit or is it you? 
Some pretty hard, it's pretty hard-hitting questions, aren't they? But they're questions which we all really need to consider as people sitting here in these pews Sunday after Sunday. Are we indeed the real deal? Are we, be, are we being directed and controlled by the Spirit of God? Which is our next point, point two. We see that in verses four to six. But Paul writes, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, in the previous chapter we looked at last week, Paul asked the question, who is sufficient for these things? You know, Paul was alluding to the fact that through his followers, God was spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of himself everywhere. Remember that from last week, those who were here? But some were finding that a pleasing aroma, but others were finding that a stench. And depending on how they received it, it really was, was characteristic of where their hearts were at with God. Because those who were actually belonged to God, they were seeing it as something which was beautiful and pleasing and lovely. But those who were not a part of God's family, those who were in opposition to God, who refused to, to accept God and refused to follow his ways, they were seeing that as a real stench because it just, it just showed them up for, for who they really were. God says that he will use the various circumstances and situations in our lives, and particularly the difficult ones that we spoke of last week, to be able to spread this fragrance of the knowledge of him to the people everywhere. You know, that as we live our lives, and particularly as we go through those, those difficult times in our lives, and as God you know, ministers to us and ministers in us and through us and, and helps us through those times to actually you know, live out our faith in, in concrete and authentic and, and genuine ways that point to the power of the Spirit of God working in us, people see that, there is, that, that God is indeed a real God. But Paul says here, he makes it very, very clear in these verses that his sufficiency and ours doesn't come from ourselves. But it comes from God who makes us sufficient to be his ministers. And this has got to be where our confidence lies when it comes to ministering for God and for living our lives for him. It has got, our confidence has got to come not from our own abilities, but from God's, from, but from a knowledge of the, the, the power that is available to us through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit who indwells us as his people. In many of his letters, Paul emphasises this truth. He says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, sorry, I'll put these points up, I'm a little bit behind here. All right, so yeah, they were his letters written on his heart. They were evidence of the transformed lives that spoke volumes about that authenticity of his ministry. And they were not only his letters, but they were letters from Christ. All right, I've actually got it highlighted here, but I'm just, you know, you get into things and you forget about, you forget to click the clicker. <laughs> Paul's confidence and his sufficiency came from God. We see that in these passages. Galatians 2.20 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh. Oh, sorry, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And again, in Philippians 4, 13, some of you might be able to just cite that off the top of your head, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is kind of giving giving this suppression here that that he is just like, you know, those of you who are gardeners, you know, you've got your hoses and you get out there and you water your plants and that sort of stuff. Paul is saying that he's just the hose pipe. Now, a hose pipe on its own is useless, isn't it? It's got to be connected to the water supply and then the water supply has got to be turned on in order for that hose then to be the conduit through which the water flows and waters the gardens and waters the plants and brings life and nourishment, isn't it? Well, Paul is saying that he's just the hose pipe and it's the water itself flowing through him that makes all the difference. It is the Spirit of God flowing into us and flowing out of us that makes all the difference. So whose ability are we resting on when it comes to carrying out this gospel ministry for Jesus? Because if we're relying on ourselves, we're going to be falling short time after time after time after time because we're just the hose pipe, folks. But perhaps you might even be, you know, you might be thinking this, that, that you're just not able to do ministry for God, that you just don't have it in you. Well, newsflash, you don't. Neither do I. But God himself wants to use us, wants to use you as this channel of blessing to those around about you. And it's, you know, I think it's, you know, for for you to understand that, you know what, I don't have it within me, that's just the start, folks, and that's the necessary start to have. But don't leave it there. Don't leave it there thinking, "I I just can't do it. I just can't serve God, I just don't have it in me. Don't leave it there, just admit that because that's the great place to start, that's the right place to start because then you come before God and says, God, I can't do it, but you do it in me and through me and I'll just be, I'm just going to be available for you to use. I'm just going to be your instrument. I'm just going to be that clay pot in your hands. I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm going to make myself available to you. You supply the power, you supply the, you know, you supply the ministry and I'll just be your person. That changes everything around, doesn't it? It just flips it all on its head. Because when we start to think that we don't have it in ourselves, and so we just pull back, and we, don't, and we, we just don't make ourselves available to God, then who are the people, where are the areas that are actually missing out on being watered by God because you just won't be, you refuse to be the hose pipe? You know, think about the the life and the beauty and that sort of thing of of a garden and all those pretty flowers and that sort of thing. You know, God uses, you know, God wants to, to use you to help bring that about in this world today and in people's lives. He wants to use you to bring beauty and life and, 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 and and goodness and, and, you know, those sorts of things to this world today. But He wants you to be the hose and He'll supply the water. He'll supply what's needed to bring about that life. You know, folks, it's one thing to say that we're Christians. 
one thing to say that we're Christians, that we carry the name like a piece of paper. Like a, you know, a name on the forehead or, you know, on the, on the chest here, I'm a Christian. But what good is it of claiming to be a Christian if it is just in name only? It's just writing on a bit of paper, isn't it? It's just writing on a bit of paper. It's just external packaging, folks. Paul says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. These false teachers, they were all about the externals. They were all about having the name, having about the name on the chest, having the, you know, wearing, the, wearing the right hat, the right clothes or whatever. You know, they had their letters of commendation. They followed these certain you know, religious rituals and things like that. But Paul is saying their ministry just did not bring life. It didn't bring life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Only ministry empowered by the Spirit of God is able to break through the hardness of men's hearts and produce that spiritual life within them. It's what Jesus speaks to about to Nicodemus about in John chapter three. You can go, you know, read it through a bit later, where he says, you know, that we need to be born again by the Spirit of God. So the question for us this morning is this: is who or what are we relying on when it comes to ministering for Christ? And indeed, are we actually ministering for Christ, or are we just carrying a name? Is it just about a name on our shirts, on our, on our clothes? Or are we really being empowered by God and we're actually being used as instruments and channels to the world around about us that he's life-giving water, that water of the Spirit can flow into us and through us and out of us to our world today? The next point speaks about that we glory in the superior message of salvation in Jesus Christ. The false teachers, they, they gloried in what they could do in following all these rituals and religious practices and things like that. And Paul was saying that's not what we should be glorying in. What we should be glorying in is indeed the message of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's where true life comes from. In this passage, Paul is contrasting this ministry of what he refers to as the old covenant, the law given to Moses with its focus on the externals. And he contrasts it with the ministry of the new covenant entered into by faith in Jesus Christ and which results in an inner spiritual transformation that comes from the Spirit of God. You see, the law itself, the law of Moses, only resulted in death. It it had no ability, it had no power to reconcile people to God. The law itself had no power to do that. All it was able to do was to show man how far short we fell or we fall of God's righteousness. That was the law's purpose. You know, although it was glorious in the fact that it revealed God's character, it had no ability to produce within a person the ability, the ability to do it and to obey it. 
That's why Paul says that it is useless, that it results only in death, because it just points us to there's the benchmark, but it never gives us the, the ability or, the, or, or that to actually bring us up to that, to that benchmark. It just continually leaves us short, and therefore it is a ministry of death. Whilst it remained carved in stone, you know, on the stone tablets or written in ink in the parchments of the teaching of the day, it could do nothing. And that's why God speaks about in Jeremiah chapter 31 about this when he says, God speaks of the day when he says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God says it's no longer going to be written there on stone, but he's actually going to write it on people's hearts, and he's going to give them the, the spiritual power to be able to live according to his, his, his righteousness and his, and his goodness. In Ezekiel 36, we see the same, where he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to walk in my rules. God says there's the secret to being able to walk in, in accordance with my word. It is through the power of the spirit that I will give you that will give you a new heart. The trouble with the people living in the old covenant days is that they didn't have that heart. They were still in rebellion towards God. They needed that spiritual change. And today, folks, if you're here and you're sitting here thinking that you can earn God's favour, that you can earn merit with God because of what you do, this speaks volumes to the fact that you just cannot do that. You can never, ever measure up to God's standards. You can never, ever do enough to actually earn enough favour with God that he would let you into his heaven when, you're, when this life is over. The only way to actually enter into God's family and to, to in, inherit all those eternal joys of, of heaven you know, forever, and ever, forever and ever more is through a spiritual transformation, is for you to receive a new heart, a heart transplant. And we have to ask ourselves the question this morning, is that the kind of transplant that God has done in me today? Do I have that new heart? Now that's not to say that the law is now obsolete or it has no value because, you know, because we're now living under grace, it doesn't mean that the law you know, matters anything anymore. Paul actually argues against that in Romans 6 and Romans 7. The law still has value. In fact, one commentator says it was the eternal validity of God's law that required the death of Christ. He had to die to satisfy the righteous requirements of the law. And in fact, when Jesus came, and in Matthew 5, he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So don't think that we're no longer under law. Romans 3.31 and Romans 7.12 both uphold the importance of the law. And again, you can go and have a bit of a read of those a bit later on. 
But the gospel itself is God's good news because it now gives us hope. We can now have assurance of salvation. We've been given power to walk in a way that is pleasing to God and we now have the ability to actually you know, walk according to that law, to walk in the righteous ways of God and to then live out that righteousness towards those around about us that shows people that there is a better way to live in this world today. Are we, are we being those people? Are we being those people that actually demonstrates to the world out there that yes, there is a better way to live today? Or are we trying to be too much like the world? Are we trying to be too much like them and, and follow the ways of this world and think that, yes, so I was reading a little quote today which I thought was really, really good. It says, you know, if we, if we claim to be... No, no, let me, let me get this right. He says... If we don't obey what Jesus says in order to the law, are we actually indeed following him? Are we followers of him? Think about that for a minute. If, we, you know, if we're not walking in the ways that Jesus says, if we're not walking according to his ways, then can we truly say that we are following Jesus? You know the game Simon says, don't you? Simon says, do this. Simon says, do that. So forth. And you do what Simon says. Therefore, you are following Simon. But it's the same with Jesus. If Jesus says, this is my way, this is my law, this is how I want you to live, this is how I want you to be my people in the world, I want you to be my witnesses, I want to be spreading through you the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. But yet we won't do what Jesus' word says. We won't follow in his footsteps. We won't be the people who he's called us to be. Then can we truly say that we are indeed his followers? No, we can't. We've been given the power to walk in a way that is pleasing to God and that is the way that we need to walk, folks. But the wonderful message for us is this, is that yes, we will fall and yes, we will fail. But the reality is, is that through the gospel, we can then come to God and say, God, you know, I messed that up. I didn't do this. I ignored you. I should have done it this way. I should have listened to you, but I didn't. But now I come to you and I acknowledge that and I say, I'm sorry. And I receive your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And then I get up and I try again in in the power of the spirit of God and we keep moving forward. And that's why Paul glories in the message of the gospel because it's not about living, you know, trying to actually live up to some standard we can never live up to, but it's in fact that the fact that God has met the standard for us and now he actually empowers us to live that life and he knows that we're going to fail, but he continues to encourage us, he continues to walk with us, he continues to inspire us, he continues to empower us. All these things God will do for you and for me if we will just trust him and walk with him. Yeah, I'm getting worked up again. That's why the the message of the gospel is so good. That's why the message of the new covenant is so good because we don't have to measure up anymore. Christ has done it for us. Amen. Amen. And now we've got the grace to walk in that. Do you glory in the superior message of salvation in Jesus Christ? Have we really, truly realised what a great salvation we have? Now, I got up here at the announcements this morning and asked you about their salvation. This is what's been on my mind this week as I've been preparing this message. Have we truly grasped what a great salvation we've received in Jesus? 
Have you truly grasped it in your in your heart and in your spirit so that it is it indeed it is just so it, everything else pales into insignificance? That's how much God wants to grab us. That's how God wants to you know encapsulate us in Him and in Christ, and for us to realize all the spiritual you know all the spiritual riches that we've received in Him, which is which is ours, better than all the riches of this world. Last point. If we really, really focus on these things, then this last point really, we'll already know that it's not about the externals that matter, but the internals. Because gospel ministry is more concerned about an inner reality than an external show. We said in verses 12 to 18 this morning. These false teachers that had come to Corinth, they'd had, they had this old covenant mentality. They had this old covenant mentality. And it was like having a veil over their faces. It was like having this veil over them. They couldn't see properly. They couldn't see the gospel. They couldn't see the richness of the life that God wanted to call them into. But instead they were stuck on this, 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 this treadmill This treadmill of of works-based salvation, trying to measure up, trying to measure up, trying to do enough, trying to, you know, to, to, to do this and to do that. And they were trying to get people to conform to this old covenant mentality themselves. And all that does, all an old covenant mentality does, it is, it results in placing an emphasis on the externals as a means of earning God's favour. And we can never do that. We place, you know, for people who have got this old covenant mentality, they're people who place more of an emphasis on following rules and regulations. They're people who are more concerned about judging others who don't conform to their ways. They're more interested in placing unnecessary demands on people to get them to measure up. They're more, they're more concerned about, about you know, these sorts of things and that they lose sight of the grace and the practice of genuine love in their lives. It's all about works righteousness. It's all about you do this, you conform to this. And that kind of old covenant mentality, all it does is it, is it imprisons and it binds up. And sadly today in many churches, this people, we've got people who claim to know Jesus Christ but are still living in an old covenant mentality. We're still living in a works-based mentality and we want people around us to, to, to do it our way, to, you know, to fit in and to conform, to, to follow these rituals and to follow these regulations. You know, you've got to wear this kind of clothes to church. You've got to, you know, you've got to act in this kind of way. We've got to sing these kind of songs. We've got to use this kind of Bible translation and it's only this. Yet in this passage we see that where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Not a freedom to do what we want, but actually a freedom to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, the kind of life that he's called us to live. And in that, in the new covenant, we are freed from the bondage of religion and the veil is removed from our faces so that we can indeed see the true glory of Christ or the true glory of God in the face of Christ. And then living for him comes from a genuine love and thankfulness for his saving grace, not as a, you know, I've got to do this to, you know, to, to stay in good with, with God. 
Living from him comes from a genuine love and thankfulness. Obedience becomes a joy instead of a chore. We no longer have to fear judgment, but instead we have the confidence of knowing that we are God's children and that he is changing us little bit by little bit from the inside out. That's what it means to live in this new covenant mentality. So when it comes to your faith, where is it focused? Is it focused on the externals or is it focused on the internals? I want to plead with you this morning and beg with you this morning, please do not settle for legalism. Do not settle for legalism because it is a works-based religion that offers nothing but frustration, it offers nothing but futility, and it offers nothing but fruit fruitlessness. And it only leads to condemnation and to death. It robs you and it robs the church of joy and it becomes a hindrance to true gospel ministry. That's what legalism does. That's what an old covenant mentality does. Christian faith is not about rituals and regulations, but it is indeed about a relationship. And yes, I know that is a cliche. But it is about a relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to a transformed heart and then a transformed life. Parents of children... Yes, you know, we want to set them boundaries for behaviour and that sort of stuff, but can I say, if you want to start from the outside to try to change the inside, it is not going to work. Work at your child's heart, first and foremost. Pray, pray, pray and pray. So, the question that we're left with this morning is this, are we indeed the real deal? Are we the real deal? What is the fruit being evidenced in your life that says so? Where does your spiritual power come from? Does it come from the Spirit of God? Are you, are you the hose that God is using to channel his water through? Or are you just a hose out there on your own? Do you glory in the grace of the gospel so that all else pales in insignificance in the sight of it? Like Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to all who believe. Paul was so convinced in his heart by that. Folks, are you living today under a new covenant mentality or an old covenant mentality? If it's the latter, then maybe today is the time for a reality check. But at the same time, remembering that we have a Saviour who has come and paid the price for us. That we don't have to measure up anymore, folks. He's done it for us. And we've just got to come to him in faith and repentance, lay ourselves before him. And he indeed will then do that transforming work in us and through us. Isn't that easy? We say so. Folks, it's not rocket science, it's Christian faith. The Christian life, living the Christian life, it's not rocket science. We don't need theological degrees and things like that. We just need to be people who are willing to say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I want to be your person. Help me.
Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this message to us from this uh, chapter in 2 Corinthians and for the words you've spoken to our hearts today. We pray, Lord, that indeed that we, you will help us to indeed be the real deal. To be people whose hearts have been changed and transformed by your grace and by your mercy. And then people who are just available for you to use. That you might accomplish your work and purposes in us and through us. Help us to be that, those people. Help us to be that church. For Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.